welcome to Board Game Binge, the place where we bring you bite-sized, bingeable board game content across the industry. I'm your host, James Staley, and in this episode, we're welcoming back Ryan Courtney, a game designer based out of New York City with titles such as Pipeline, Curious Cargo, Bear Raid, and Trailblazers, which is currently live on Kickstarter. Ryan, welcome to the binge. How you doing, sir? Good, and thank you for having me back. Oh, it's amazing having you back. It's so cool to go from uh, a, you know, tech, a technology-based kind of gaming, and we talked about that in episode 158 uh, with the uh, Move 38 Blinks was the, the technology you guys were talking about on that podcast. Your role with that team was specifically the games that were programmed into the Blinks themselves. Um, but there's a really cool game on Kickstarter right now that uh, you designed that's more of a traditional type board game. And uh, I thought we'd get you back on and, and talk about it. So, man, welcome back to the binge. Uh, I really appreciate you having here. Yeah, super glad to be here. <laughs> so uh, for those who don't know you, kind of how did you get into this industry as a, as a board game designer? Like, have you always been uh, game designing or what's been your, uh, your kind of path to get to where you're at right now? So I've heard that I did some game designing when I was younger, but uh, I don't remember any of that. And I will say that there was there was no intention for me to become a, a board game designer. I was not, that's not what I went to school for. Uh, originally I thought I was gonna go, I, I went to like material science engineering. So I figured I was gonna be an oh. engineer. Uh, and sort of along that path, uh, I ended up, being in grad school and in a situation where honestly, I just simply could not afford to go out. <laughs> so like yeah. I couldn't really afford to go out, uh, you know, to bars or go out to get dinner and whatnot. And I was like, okay, I need to find something for uh, me and my roommate at the time to do. And so I bought a couple of board games. Admittedly, I'd had no idea what I was doing. Some of them were quite terrible, but <laughs> and I will definitely not mention which ones I thought were terrible, but like, I did pick up something. I think I picked up Carcassonne pretty early. Yeah. And I remember playing that game over and over and over. Yeah. I love it. And ironically, I love the digital version better because it does all the score adding for you uh, right. super fast and also kind of keeps track. I find where you're trying to uh, claim land. Right. And mm -hmm. just if you're not kind of paying attention where you can actually go, uh, the, uh, the digital version, uh, forces it right. And only lets you go where you're, you're legitimately allowed to go. So, but awesome, awesome game. So when you're looking at these games and, um, you know, you say they're terrible, what perspective were you coming in from? Like, did you have any kind of design background or is it just based on your, just your feeling when you're playing these games? Like, how did you kind of come to that conclusion that it was a good or bad game? I guess. Yeah. They just didn't work for, my roommate and I, okay. they, might, they might've been fine games for other folks, but uh, no, at that time I had no concept of what a good or bad board game is. And, you yeah. know, I think even still today, you know, people might say I, I don't have good taste. So. Yeah. <laughs> so how many years ago was that? Like how, when, when was that when you're a starving grad student trying to entertain I yourself? By that I first started playing board games in around, uh, 2013 or 14. Okay. Something like that. So you in the industry for about 10 years. And then when did you kind of then transition into your first kind of attempt to make something of your own? Right. So 
uh, I actually went and did a game jam with sort of uh, experimental yeah. technology similar to what the blinks are. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I ended up doing well in that uh, game jam, but really it was just like, do you understand tech at that point? Like it wasn't that I knew, like I came up with like a great game design. It's just, I sort of knew how to make something for this new type of tech. And so I did well on that game jam. They ended up offering me uh, a contract to make games for them. And so I was like, okay, let's go ahead and do that. That'd be a fun thing to do on the side while in grad school. And then uh, I ended up going to New York City Playtest Group. Uh, And originally I was always just bringing them sort of like app style games. So I was, I was looking at like making word game apps, uh, things like that. So like, yeah, once I got into like that digital space, I started thinking about digital games in general. And I was always bringing these uh, paper prototypes, right? But everybody mm. at NYC Playtest were board game designers. And so I was like, okay, well, why don't I give this a shot? And so Again, I was starting to play them as a hobby and all the designers I knew happened to be board game designers. Uh, and so I was like, okay, well, let's try a board game instead of, uh, instead of just digital only. Yeah. So you're saying that you would actually make like, like even cutouts and so forth, even for the digital to kind of map out how you're going to oh, do the digital 100%. Game? Yeah. We oh, used cool. to, I used to practice with, uh, with cards that we would make. So you're pretty much making a board game first <laughs> and then you digitize right. it. <laughs> yeah. But a board game that nobody would want to actually buy or play. Yeah, sure. I mean, it'd be more yeah. simplistic and so forth, I guess. Right. Yeah. I mean, simplistic, but just, yeah, there's a lot of affordances of mobile devices. Like you mentioned, with Carcassonne, like it's sort of, it can hint you on things. It can sort of keep track of scores and yeah. stuff like that. And it could just be smarter about like what cards, right. It gives you things like all those types of things in a board game is much harder to do. Uh, and so I had to sort of fake those things like during these play tests. Yeah. Uh, so n- yeah, none of those will be board games. I don't think at any point. Uh, but yeah, we definitely started with paper prototypes. Was there a game that you created that just, that you didn't take any for like the first game you created, was that the one that you, you went and published or was like the first board game? What was the first thing you created? Uh, let's see here. Pipeline was certainly one of the earlier ones. Yeah. I think I created a, I did look and see if there were ways I could make versions of the apps that I was making into something that would be more board game like, but they were all word, they were all word games. And Mm. I was told, you know, rightfully so or not that word games were harder to pitch. And then like I had this math, like team-based game. Uh, and so mixed math and team play and everybody's like, that's just simply not pitchable. So I was like, all right, what, you know, what are people, you know, potentially buying in the hobby market? Yeah. And uh, yeah, that's sort of where pipeline came along at the time I was playing a lot of like Vital Lacerda uh, style games. I was into the business simulator you know, the economic simulator style games. And I was like, I, I suspect I could make something uh, like this. So let's give it a shot. That's crazy. And then how did you pitch that first game? So Pipeline, uh, so that was the first one you made, was it Pipeline? Pipeline, yeah, was the first published one. And who'd you publish that with? 
uh, capstone games. Capstone games. So then how did you approach them with that? Like where, where did that take place? So I went to, I believe it was, or it was either origins or Gen Con and Basically, it must yeah, it must have been Gen Con. So it was Gen Con. I went up to the booth and I was like, I think I have a game that you might like. And he's like, I'm not interested. And I was like, okay. And so I, like I walked away. And then yeah. his wife, who was also at the booth at at with him, I guess felt bad for me. And so she came up and she's like, you know, he's just super busy right now. Like Gen Con's a big selling convention. You know, yeah. why don't you send an email uh, to us at this address? And, you know, we'll take a closer look at your pitch. So that night when I got back to the hotel, I sent him an email with the thing and he said, not interested. And I was like, oh, okay. So I got rejected twice. And uh, then on the last day of the convention, uh, Joe Wiggins, who happened to be a volunteer for, yeah, he he now works for board game tables, but uh, at the time he was a volunteer for Capstone and, yeah, he was like, I got, a, I have a little bit of free time. And so on the very last day, pretty much, you know, right towards the end of the convention, he play tested it or demoed it. And yeah, he sort of got super hyped on it. And then he essentially convinced Clay to pick it up. So wow. yeah, a little bit of nagging on me, a, a little like on, on my part and a lot of getting rejected, but then in the end, you know, it worked out. So a little bit of a roller coaster Gen Con, but I think that's one thing. Uh, as new designers, you have to sort of uh, realize is that you are going to get rejected a lot. It's something that you need to get used to. That's that is the norm. Uh, even as you start getting more games published, you still get your stuff rejected uh, quite regularly. Yeah, but I guess the persistence in this case is what what you know separates the wheat from the chase, so to speak. I guess right. That and I mean, I just got lucky that the that Joe Wiggins, the volunteer, happened to have time there at the end, right? If he was just yeah. like, no, I'm a little, you know, I'm tired. I've worked this whole convention. I don't feel like doing this. Like it would have never happened. I don't think. But I think in that case, so you still like many like so for those out there that maybe have game ideas of themselves and they're thinking, gosh, I'd love to pitch to a publisher. You have to realize that these these conventions, they're getting inundated with not only people who are interested in buying games, but people randomly walk up saying, Hey, I have a game idea. Right. I, I, I'm, I was at a small convention in Toronto and I had that at least a dozen people come up to you saying, Hey, I got a game idea. Are you guys interested in, you know, talking as, as a publisher? So, you know, that, you know, that, that first, no, a lot of people probably just take and walk away, but you actually went back to these guys three times, (laughs) right? Yeah. Three times. I, yeah. The third time was kind of a, was your, was a lucky charm, I guess, in this case. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I guess I'm used to rejection and failure. <laughs> I don't know. It doesn't, it doesn't bother me that much. So yeah, just keep, keep putting it in front of people. Uh, all it takes is one person to say yes. Uh, so, and you forget all the rejections quickly after. Right. So. Yeah. But, and I guess if you don't take it personally, right. I think that's no, the key is to realize this is part of the, the game, so to speak, right? It's part of the process. And it's like any artist, even if you think of music, I'm sure they have to pitch and pitch and pitch and pitch until finally, you know, sometimes, as we said, you know, opportunity uh, meets up with preparedness. That's luck, right? And they get lucky, right? And then they something magical can happen. In this case, you get a publisher to sign you. Once you have one, then I'm sure that helps you from a, I guess, a credibility standpoint, when you're talking to others, you can say, well, another publisher's already taken a, you know, a chance on you. So it had success. Maybe we should give this guy a shot as well, I would think, right? 
certainly helps. Uh, yeah. It doesn't mean that you, so what it really does is it gets you in the door more often. So you get more pitch meetings, uh, but yeah, it doesn't guarantee that you're going to get your game no. signed. Uh, but yeah, you will get, you will get more meetings as people start to see that you have a track record. How'd you connect with Bitewing? Uh, Bitewing contacted me. So that was, that was a different experience for me. Yeah. Uh, so they, they saw, maybe I posted something on a social media or maybe I did a, a stream or something and they're like, who has that, who has that, uh, that hiking game that you talked about or whatever. And I was like, nobody yet. And they're like, okay, we want to look at it. So yeah, that was nice. I didn't, I didn't have to find them this time. <laughs> and I think that maybe shows the importance of uh, also having your own social presence. Right. right. And I, I think that, you know, a, often designers who are you know looking to connect with publishers is they're hoping that the publishers will kind of take the ball and run with it. And they just kind of create the game. But again, you're going to increase your odds if you have your own following as well, right? A publisher is not just looking at the game, but if this is a designer that has a following and there's people that are already passionate about that designer's games and they know there's an audience that's going to come along with them, there's going to be an increased urgency to to work with that particular designer. Right. Yeah. I, yeah. I actually was very reticent to get on social media, so I didn't really want to be in that space, but yeah. I had a content creator friend who just would not stop nagging me until I did it. She, she, she was just like, look, you're, you are really hurting your chances of, uh, you know, building a career or, or building a reputation in this yeah. space. If you don't do it, you just simply need to. And she, yeah, I mean, she bugged me for the longest time. And then I was like, okay, fine. I'll just do this so that she'll stop bugging me. But no, it's a hundred percent the case. You need to, you need to almost everybody without exception needs to start, you know, building their own brand around themselves. Yeah. Yeah. The number of times I talk to publishers and like when we're off air, they're like, ah, oh, the social media part, I just absolutely hate it. And it's like, but you got to do it. <laughs> right. Cause if you don't, guess what? You're not going to be successful as a publisher without it. So it's kind of the necessary evil. It's all those things you just got to skills. You just got to start trying to figure out and you know the best way to start is to start right? right and and you'll meet people who are very kind to you and they encourage you and and yeah. stuff like that so there's upsides too but yeah i i definitely understand the the initial resistance i was definitely a uh, part of that for sure so talk to me about trailblazers so trailblazers i'm gonna put this in canadian dollars because it's the only way i can see it is at a hundred and almost thirty seven thousand dollars on a nineteen and a half thousand dollar target uh, which is huge. Uh, 1,715 backers. Congratulations on that. Obviously, testament to the game. Um, can you explain to people who are watching or maybe just listening even, so I'll use descriptive words, what is Trailblazers all about? How does this game work? Okay, so Trailblazers is a lightweight tile-laying game. Uh, it has uh, simultaneous drafting, similar to, like say, a Sushi Go or a Seven Wonders. Mm. Uh, and because of that, uh, it doesn't really matter how many players you play with. You can play all the way up to that eight player count and the game is still going to last uh, around 30 minutes total. So it's a quick teach. The play time, even with large player counts is still going to be only uh, 30 minutes. And then on top of that, uh, I worked really hard 
on this game to make sure that I was taking care of the solo gamers. And mm. so there's actually three different solo modes that I worked in building into this, uh, into this game. So I'm, I'm really happy about, about that solo part for sure. Oh, sweet. So then how do you, how do you play the game? So for those who have maybe played pipeline, which there's some inspiration here from that game, um, you have basically, I guess, camps, uh, the, each player sets on the, on the table and then what do they do from there? Right. So you have three different camps, one of each of three colors, and then you're going to have these little domino cards. So domino shaped cards. And on those domino shaped cards, there's going to be different, uh, trails and the trails are going to be of the three different types. Uh, and similar to like a, like Carcassonne, which we met, mentioned earlier, like the Carcassonne roads, you're going to sort of be placing these, these cards um, mm. adjacent to each other, but actually you can actually, you can stack these on top of each other as well. So you can, you can build over things. So if you make a mistake or something like that, you can fix it. So it's a little bit forgiving in that, in that sort of way. Uh, but yeah, you're building these routes and then they go away from the camps and then they need to come back to the camp. So all the, all the hikers, bikers, and kayakers want to go in a loop, right? They don't want to have to go mm. out to the end and then have to walk back the same route that they were on. So you're trying to make these uh, various different routes um, on these three different campsites, coming out of these three different campsites. And based on the length, I guess, of the route is, is how you can score more points, essentially. Is that, is that right? Correct? There's some, there's some, in-game cards and some end-game scoring cards, and then you'll get uh, additional points for how long your routes are as well. Uh, super awesome. One of the things that uh, attracted me to this was, um, you know, the the cleverness of, you know, keeping in mind that this has kind of got a hiking kind of theme to it, and it's a perfect game to take, you know, on a camping trip or, you know, taking for a picnic or taking outdoors with you. The cards themselves, uh, I believe, are acrylic so that they don't, uh, moisture's not going to wreck the cards, uh, the, the tiles, I guess. And then there's like this little um, a pack that with the carbine kind of hooks onto your, your backpack that holds the entire game, uh, which is really, really cool. How much of this was kind of mapped out in your original game design before uh, you kind of start working with Bitewing? Okay, so... Uh, Bitewing and I have worked together quite heavily. So sometimes mm -hmm. with publishers, it's uh, mostly a handed off and they do everything. With Bitewing, that uh, wasn't the case. Uh, Bitewing is a very small publisher. Yeah. Uh, they've only done one Kickstarter before and that Kickstarter was for like 29,000 US. So yeah, very small publisher. So this was their second game. Uh, and one of the reasons that I wanted to work with them is that they gave me, uh, a good amount of control over the overall product. So the travel, uh, pouch, mm -hmm. uh, that was something that I had already thought about wanting into like as part of the overall product of this game, uh, he ended up picking out the, the exact clamshell, like, you know, they, the, the details definitely was, uh, done by Bitewing, but like mm -hmm. this idea of having a travel, uh, pouch that was colorful and sort of felt like an outdoorsy, uh, pouch. Like, yeah, I came in with all those types of things. Uh, making it waterproof was hundred percent his idea. Uh, so he sort of took that idea of, um, uh, 
that I had and was like, and ran with it. And Smart, yeah. yeah, I mean, he made it, he made it better than, uh, you know, my, my original vision. How do these little, uh, I'm showing again on for people who are watching uh, live uh, on screen. How do these uh, animals come into play? There's like these little meeples of like different, uh, different animals. How do they come into play at this game? Right. So there's two expansions in the game uh, and they both use the animals. So uh, if you're just using just the animal expansion, what you'll be doing is placing these animals along the routes. Each or some subset of cards have little animals uh, depicted on them. Mm-hmm. And whenever uh, you see one of those or whenever you play one of those, you have the option to put an animal on top. And you'll get points for those animals. But the downside of that is any card that you put an animal on top, you may no, no longer fix by putting a new card on top. So it mm. sort of, it constrains you, but then you get points. So it's a, it's a trade-off there between constraints and points. And yeah, it sort of makes you have to push your luck a little bit more. Uh, and then the little people and the campfires, uh, those are used in the second expansion. And in that expansion what you're doing is you're actually building the trails as the little people walk along them so each turn you'll move the people you'll move two of your people uh three steps and the animals come into play there because the the people will stop and take a photograph of the animals as they go by so it slows them down so that's sort of the it's sort of uh i don't know how how to explain this but basically you're just trying to keep the trail long enough that the person doesn't run off the trail right and so they, what happens when they run off the trail they they they, they take a camp early and then okay. basically you miss out on scoring uh points so they'll yeah they'll camp early it's there's nothing disastrous that happens but yeah you miss out on points we we try to be relatively forgiving uh in everything in this game there's no negative points uh and there's no instant loss like in curious cargo you know so a lot of my games tend to be uh, quite punishing. Um, <laughs> I tried to, I tried to not do that with this one. Yeah. What are some of the game styles that that really interest you that you want to really sink your teeth in uh, as you kind of move forward? Uh, to be honest, I'm pretty happy working in most genres. I think mm-hmm. like narrative or um, yes, Narrative style games, probably not an area where uh, you'll see me. I, I, I stick to things that are, uh, you know, mathematical systems. Mm. So, uh, but any, any place that I can do that, like it, it doesn't matter what type of math for me, it's all uh, pretty interesting. So yeah, I'm hoping I don't pigeonhole myself. I know I've put out now three pipe route laying games. Yeah. I hope everybody doesn't just, you know, consider me the pipe guy he's the plumber yeah, yeah he's a plumber of the board game industry yeah do you use any kind of like third-party software like so these are all mathematically based like are you using any kind of other tools to help you with that to you know ensure balance and so forth uh not so much with the board games with the app style games i do run simulations mm. uh, but with the board games not so much it, it's usually just based off of a relatively simple uh, mathematical mathematical model like mostly just do that on on paper yeah uh, yeah there, there's nothing that advanced with what these are and as a designer i would say that um 
you know, I think it's super cool that, you know, you are helping, you know, your publishers with, you know, kind of the media tour for lack of a better word. Right. And, and you don't always see that. Sometimes you see um, designers that just kind of want to hand it off and then kind of go on and, and work on something else. How important do you think it is uh, to have that kind of relationship where you're actively involved in, in promoting in, in the game and so forth? Well, arguably if I made super good games, I wouldn't have to do this. <laughs> so uh, I, yeah, I mean, uh, I, it's very important, I think. Uh, yeah, I'm not. I'm not usually one for attention. Uh, yeah, typically I'm not. You know, like at conventions, I like to flip my badge around the other way. You know, so and just like sort of watch at the booth. Uh, but no, it's it's super important. It's just like social media. Like we have to work on building a brand around our products if we want them to do well. And like it or not, the board game industry, like most of these sort of creative industries, is sort of uh, rich get richer. So, you know, you need to be in the top, you know, 1% of games in a year to really have a chance to go into that sort of evergreen uh, position. And for those who don't know what evergreen means, it just means that the game will sort of keep selling over time. So if you, if you want to have a long tail on your game, yeah, you really, you really have to work to get your game up there in the, in the top 1% or so, which is very difficult. So don't shoot yourself in the foot by not, by not. Uh, building a brand. And I guess like in every industry, you have consolidation too, right? So you see larger players come in and, you know, start taking over things like Kickstarter and, you know, in terms of taking over in terms of a share of voice, right? So, you know, the bigger budgets allow them to command more of the share of voice. And then it makes it tougher for the little guys to to get the attention. And, And unfortunately that's the evolution of pretty much every industry out there, right? Um, what is your process for, so you've got like, obviously you got games that are constantly on the go. Um, are are you big into doing like tabletop simulator in your play testing? Are you more of kind of uh, no, I, I want to have the tactile of, you know, being at like an event with people and, you know, and getting the reactions live that way, or what's, what's your process for your play testing of your, your concepts? Right. So at, at the beginning, I, used to go to the NYC play test all, all the time. That was mm-hmm. the main place I would go get things tested. Yeah. Uh, in that case, I did cut things out and, and print, you know, print them and cut them out. Uh, that I make games with a lot of components and especially like when I'm first starting um, and I got tired of cutting out pipe tiles, to be honest. And so uh, tabletop simulator has been amazing. And then yeah. the second thing is, is that uh, in the heavy game space, finding playtesters is tough. It they are long games. In their early stages, they definitely suck. Like yeah. they're definitely rough at that stage. And so, you know, you're asking somebody to commit two or three hours to something that probably isn't enjoyable to them. And to be honest, heavy games are fairly niche anyways. And yeah. so, having your game on tabletop simulator. And being able to reach out to people around the world to play uh, helps immensely. Like it helps you find that group. And I live in New York City, which is super dense location. So I have access to a ton of people. And even still, I need to go online and find players uh, for these heavy games. And I was fortunate enough to meet uh, Tim online, who who has been the developer on many of my games. Mm. Uh, And he actually lives up in Minnesota. So... Yeah, my biggest like partner uh, as far as 
working on development through these games has been uh, through online. No, that's amazing. Is there any uh, thing that you can tease out that's up and coming? Like, is, what's what's the next game we can expect from you? So I have two of them. Uh, I have a pretty big one that is a programming uh, style game. It basically you're playing a uh, playing as like an Amazon distribution center, and so you're automating the distribution center, and then you're using the same code uh, to automate the vehicles uh, delivering into like a New York City style uh, grid. And then I have a second game uh, that is a deduction style game. And like the cool thing with this deduction style game is that it's not one in which somebody else can mess up your deductions. Like mm. one problem with a lot of deduction games is like someone says, oops, I, I miss said that that one time, like yeah. four turns again. And then like it ruins the whole deduction. Uh, and this one is not, uh, yeah won't have that sort of issue. So those are the two that are uh, probably going to come out uh, soonest. No, that's awesome. Well, for people who are interested in trailblazers, I have a link in the show notes. Um, also posted in the board game binge podcast, Facebook group, a private group. Anybody's welcome. Simply just send us an invite. We'll bring you in and uh, you know, check out this game or you can quite frankly, just on Kickstarter, just type in trailblazers and you can find it there. Check it out. This game looks awesome. It looks like a lot of fun It's definitely right in my wheelhouse. I want to wish you all the best in this campaign and congratulations once again. Eh? Yeah. Thank you very much for having me. No worries. You take care. Cheers. This has been an episode of the board game binge podcast hosted by James Staley Produced by James Staley and Mike Bruner with original music by Nick Smith. If you'd like to watch these interviews live, simply subscribe to our YouTube channel, Board Game Binge, and you'll get access to live interviews, giveaways, and interesting board game content from across the industry. I can't wait for you to join us. See you next time.